0: Thanks, Dave. Very good, nice uh, to be with everyone here tonight. And uh, yeah, if I haven't met you, I'd love to, to meet you at some point, but it's a good thing that we're gathering together tonight around the name of Jesus and to seek to conform our lives to Him, to seek to hear what He has for us. And so I pray that we would that we'd be hearing and, and encountering here, Him here tonight. Uh, if I asked you the question to use maybe say five adjectives, to describe who God was what would be your uh, your five ab- adjectives maybe not necessarily that you know the ones that you that you just know and hear about in in church circles or in Christianity but the the five adjectives that you would say uh, define or, or, or give uh, yeah yeah give definition to who God is in your life what would be the ones that you picked I uh, I was talking to someone a couple of months ago about this and we were just having the discussion that probably I think if you asked uh, just an ordinary Australian maybe, you know, someone who maybe hasn't had a lot to do with church, uh, you know, works a job, has a family in Australia, is sort of living the, the standard Australian life. We're sort of talking about what those five adjectives might be and, and we're just discussing that probably uh, one of them might be uh, condemning would be one of the adjectives, uh, maybe judgmental, maybe harsh, um, you know, quite, uh, you know, just ready to sort of pounce on people, very exacting, demanding. These were some of the words uh, that we were sort of sort of throwing around. You know, we talked about the fact that probably the average Australian might even say that, that God's sort of out to get people, he, he hurts people, this type of thing. And uh, we were just reflecting on this. And this particular person, you know, after I'd sort of said that to them, they said, oh, yeah, who, who does that, who do you reckon that sounds like? And, uh, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure. And he's like, yeah, it sounds an awful, like, uh, awful lot like Satan, doesn't it, when you use those words? And that's an, it's an interesting thought experiment. These are often the words I think. I think that's pretty true. They'd be the words that uh, I think a lot of Australians would, would use to describe God, their experience, their knowledge of God. And, uh, you know, that, that certainly would be, would be fairly far from what we would say the truth would be. And uh, so I want to explore this a little bit tonight. One of, one of the words I think that, um, that our society uses a lot is that God's very, very angry. He's very angry at people. And I want to just explore that a little bit tonight as we continue in this series. It's sort of been half in a series in uh, the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to pick up in Mark 11 here tonight. So why don't you uh, read along as we head to Mark 11, verses 12 uh, to 21. The next day, as they, the disciples, were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He was a man, <laughs> Jesus hungered. Seeing in the distance of a fig tree in leaf, so it had leaves, this tree, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Uh, so this is doing a lot for our, for our thought experiment of, of God being an angry God. But this is why I wanted to talk to this passage tonight. You see, the temptation I think can be to rip this page out of the history of, of what Jesus did. I think this is the one of the, the, the moments that we sort of like to maybe just put to the side a little bit and sort of say, oh yeah, like we won't sort of focus on that one. Does our reading of of Jesus overturning tables in anger in judgment degrade our idea of the master? This moment stands in just as much force as Jesus healing the leper or showing compassion on the crowds. It must not only stand in just as much force as this, But if we truly believe that God is unchanging, if he's faithful to who he is, if he's unwavering, this moment of chastisement as Jesus walks into the temple must also not only stand, but it must accord, be of the same root of everything else that he did. And so I want us to, to explore this a little bit tonight. I was talking to a family here this morning and a couple of years ago, only they moved to Australia from South Africa and we were, just talking, you know, about some of the cultural changes. And one in particular was the Australian humour. And I referenced a particular Australian movie that I said, oh, this, you know, has a lot of Australian humour in it. But you know, the Australian humour is super dry and just everything's loaded with sarcasm. I went to the States a few years ago and I said a few things and people just stared at me. Like I was making jokes, you know what I mean? Trying to like, I engage with these people that I didn't know too well. And I made a few jokes and I just got, I just, on a couple of occasions, I just got blank faces. I don't know whether you've ever done that overseas. If you've been around people with a different culture, the Australian uh, humour is, is unique, I suppose. It's, it's loaded with sarcasm, things that we say. And this particular South African man was saying, well, sometimes I'll even sit in meetings in my workplace and uh, I'll just be sitting there and someone will say something and I'm not exactly sure whether that's a joke or not. So I'll just, w- I'll just wait, I won't do anything and I'll see how everyone else reacts. And if they're laughing, then I'll start laughing. I don't know whether you've had that, uh, you know, that experience before when you've been around people from different cultures and you've made an Australian joke. But the, the thing is uh, for, for people coming from different cultures is that they come to Australia with presuppositions with things that they believe from their experience. And, and so they hear something said, and it means something to them that it doesn't mean to us when we say it, you know what I mean? We'll say something and, it, and it's a full on joke and, and we're ready to laugh and they think we're being fully serious. They're coming to that with, with different presuppositions to what we have. The reason why I think most of us are uncomfortable with this vision of Jesus The reason why I think most of us are uncomfortable with with this um, account of what he did is because we project onto Jesus our own human conceptions of anger. The anger of a good man, of a righteous man is very different to the anger of an evil and unrighteous man. And I think on the whole, when we think of the word anger and, and even when we read what Jesus is doing here, we're projecting our conception of anger onto him. The anger I think that we are familiar with is mainly an unrighteous anger. It's grounded in, in the root of selfishness, rooted in pride and, and the justification of what we want. You know, When we don't get our way, we get angry. Things rise up within us, emotions rise up within us. And I think this is, is what we're actually, and, and what our society does, but I think what we can do is, is project that onto Jesus in this moment. But the anger of the best man, the anger of the perfect man, the anger of God must be very different to the anger that might come from a fleshly human heart that has a degree of corruption. James 1.20 says this, "'This you know, my beloved brethren,' but uh, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You know, I think this, this, uh, this concept of bringing our presuppositions onto God, we, we need to not only carry this when it comes to anger, we need to carry this into, into all our knowledge of God. The, the root of sin is idolatry. It's the making of God in our own image it's us as humans defining who God is and our experience defining him. But uh, when we do that, we actually lose who God is because we're defining him according to our own fleshly evil hearts and, and God ends up being a tyrant and exacting God, even an evil God, someone that looks an awful lot, awful lot like Satan. And so when we come to understanding who God is, we need to step off of our page And let God and Christ define who he is to us. We need to stop justifying ourselves, come off of our page and step onto his page. This is what faith in Jesus being the word of God is. This is why Jesus came, to reveal who God was, who God is to us. And so Christ's anger must be one with his love. Christ's anger must be not only one with his love, Christ's anger must be his love. God is not divided. God is simple, he is unwavering, he is always the same. God's love is his anger, is his mercy, is his compassion, is his judgment, is his wrath, is his kindness. It's all one and the same, is his forgiveness. So Jesus uh, walks into the temple as he had many times before. He was not unfamiliar with what was going on in this place, but he walks in and he sees before him a people in a most perilous place, a most dangerous place, a people who were calling themselves by his father's name, but did not know his father, did not honor his father. Anglican theologian from the 19th century, Frederick Maurice, commenting on this moment and what's happening in the the Jews at this point. He says this, "They they rejoiced that they knew the true God and the way of serving him, but they did not know the true God and they were not serving him. Jesus speaks in the gospels about their lack of, mercy and of justice there's no care for those who are oppressed and and this lack of mercy and justice was being covered under the shade of a ritual of ritualistic and empty sacrifices to God that meant nothing they were chasing after wealth and money they had a God of mammon in the very house of God in my father's house Jesus says This temple narrative is wedged between the the dialogue about Jesus cursing the fig tree. The Jewish religious establishment looked from the outside to be a healthy tree with leaf, ready when the season came to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. It looked to be all good. But Jesus sees the true state of things. And Jesus' presence reveals the true state of things. It might've looked good from the outside, but at the root, at the core, it was corrupted, it was dead. It was not going to bear fruit. And Christ, in his love, cannot let this continue. He is Committed, Christ is committed to revealing their true state. He will not leave them to their self made deception and lostness. And so even though Christ had been so patient, He'd been bearing with them, He'd been calling them to Himself. In fact, He says, O Jerusalem, how many times I've longed to gather you to myself to bring you under the shelter of my wings and you have not listened. Christ has been coaxing them, He's been saying, come back to me, come back to me, my people. He's been patient with them, but in this moment, the spirit of love in Christ bubbles up in indignation. His spirit of love expresses itself in anger to cut into their darkness with light, to reveal the true state of their heart, to judge, to reveal in the hope that repentance might follow. In the hope that repentance might follow. You see, the Son of Man had come to seek and to save those who were lost, all of them. Those who were in darkness and they didn't think they were in darkness. Those who thought they knew God, but they didn't know God. Christ's anger is Him not letting them go. He's pursuing them, He's chasing them. He will not let them go down a path of sin and idolatry that is leading to their destruction. Christ walks into the temple and this is not selfish anger like the world knows, anger. Where you know Christ just throwing his weight around because he's upset, he's been offended internally, he's justifying himself, you guys are all idiots. This is not what this is not what Christ is doing. He's not frustrated that he's not getting his way. In this moment, Christ is engaging in redemptive loving action. He will not leave them to their own devices. He will not leave them in their sin. Matthew 1.21 says this. She, Mary, will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will save them from their sin. We cannot have a working vision of God who would leave us in sin. We cannot have an understanding of a God who, who would ever tolerate, tolerate sin in us. Be okay with that. If you came to me tonight after the service and spoke to me about an ill health in your body, a disease or a misfunction that's plaguing you at the moment, that's causing you issues, that's, that's limiting your health, and I f- if you came to me and said that, and I found in myself no desire for the ridding of that misfunction or disease from your body, But but a sort of a, ah, you know, toleration and acceptance of that, you know, ah, well, that's okay. Surely I would question the goodness of my own heart. Surely I would say, what is that in me? It is not okay for me to be okay about that. A perfect and a good God must hate perfectly that which is stifling and destroying his good creation. He would not be loving if he did not. He is willing to express anger for our good. We need to understand this moment is a moment of absolute love. He's willing to do it because he loves. He will not let them just wander down their path of self-destruction, thinking he's someone he's not. Jesus In one week's time, in fact, if you want any confirmation that this is an act of love, in one week's time, these very people who He's speaking to, who who He's expressing His anger to are nailing Him to a cross and He says, Father, forgive them. Jesus is giving His very life on the cross for these people that one week earlier, His spirit of love The exact same spirit on the cross and in the temple in this moment expresses itself in anger to draw them to himself, to say, come back to me, turn, repent. You're headed down the wrong road. In his anger, he is for them. You know, we have, uh, a lot of us have misconceptions, uh, sorry, not misconceptions, but we've had difficult experiences of parenting in our life, which, which shade um, our vision for who God is. But this is actually what we see happening in, in our healthy parents' heart. Uh, I know of a dad and uh, a son and a daughter that were playing soccer one day in the backyard, as they often would. And on this particular occasion, the son was being quite mean to his sister, uh, being a bad sport, uh, just, just being a, a menace really, to be honest, he was. And uh, he didn't really care about that, to be honest he He just wanted to do it, and that was uh that was what he was gonna do and uh and so he's playing there with his dad and his sister and uh and his dad was was started to give him some warnings this son some warnings hey like you know what's going on here like you know calling it out warning hey come on like let's not go there and uh and the son uh continued in that and sort of just didn't listen, shut his ears to to, to those exhortations, and uh, and so the father continued several times. Hey, come on, that's that's not right. Let's let's come out of that. And they they gradually grew a little bit more stern. But the son wouldn't listen, and uh, and just con- was continuing with this meanness in his mind. Thought it was fine, saw no problem with it. And after a time of patience and of an endurance of that, the father. Um, uh, expressed anger towards the son called it out in anger and the the anger cut through the acceptance maybe the the this is okay into the son's heart and something shifted in that moment he realized that this is not okay the path that i'm on now that father do you think he's saying that do you think he's expressing that anger because he's he's against his son do you think he's expressing that anger because uh, because he's sort of, oh man, like he's not listening to me. Like, oh, like I'm, a, I'm his dad, you know, he's got to listen to me. No way, this was a righteous anger or I've come to realize that this was a righteous anger that was being expressed in this moment. It wasn't good what the son was engaging in. It wasn't good for the son. It wasn't good for him and the father loves the son and so he will not let the son wander off into a place that's gonna lead to his destruction, The anger was for the son's sake. Christ cannot leave us in any false imagination that we are sided with him if we are not. That would be a horrible God to worship. That would be an evil God to worship. A God who would leave people with a misunderstanding as to who he is. With every word, every action, every deed, Jesus is undertaking his mission when he was on the earth, and I wanna tell you, he's still undertaking it today right now by his spirit on the earth to redeem his brothers and sisters from the rebellion that leads to death. I just want you to see Christ tonight. Don't even think about your sin right now. Look at Christ. Look at his greatness. Look at his love for you. Nothing he will not do to save you from your sin. God cares that you and I should be made right. He cares that we should be brought out into the wide open spaces of the liberty of the sons and daughters of the living God. Freedom not enchained by sin, into the freedom that comes from being made like Christ, loving the things He loves the way that He loves. This is God's commitment to you, His commitment to me, and He will not forsake it. Even if we Are faithless, he will be faithful to himself, for he cannot deny himself. You know, in the Gospels, the pattern seems to be that Jesus's redemptive action is not normally anger. In fact, the 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 rarity of this moment is part of the reason why it strikes us so hard. We see that Christ embraced the woman caught in adultery. In that moment, tenderness, not anger, is what comes out of the heart of a spirit of love to embrace the woman, to root the sin out of her life, to send it away in that moment. Jesus sat and ate with the tax collectors, those who'd been oppressed by society, those who knew themselves, oh man, like like I'm definitely, I need him. And he sat with them and he showed hospitality to them. He healed the sick, those who are oppressed with afflictions. This is one and the same Jesus, always working for the redemption of mankind. He has come to save a people from their sin. But if and when it is required, the spirit of love will pour itself out in anger, in faith and hope that that expression will lead to repentance, will lead to movement, will lead to change in the hope that things will be made right in the beloved again for the sake of the beloved. George MacDonald has a long quote, but it's worth reading all of it tonight. He says this, it is an especially glad thought that the Lord came so near us as to be angry with us. The more we think of Jesus being angry with us, the more we feel that we must get nearer and nearer to him. Get within the circle of his wrath, out of the sin that makes him angry and near to him where sin cannot come. I love this. There is no quenching of his love in the anger of Jesus. The anger of Jesus is his recognition that we are to blame. If we were not to blame, Jesus could never be angry with us. We should not be of his kind, therefore not subject to his blame. To recognise that we are to blame is to say that we ought to be better, that we are able to do right if we will. We are able to turn our faces to the light and come out of the darkness. The Lord will see to our growth. Uh, Right throughout Scripture, we see, in fact, that God's anger is usually expressed, uh, mainly expressed actually towards those who who know him already, who, who would say to have a claim on who he is already, who would call themselves his people. In fact, the very first time that God is angry in Scripture is towards Moses, believe it or not. God's called Moses, come and, uh, and set my people free with me from Egypt, and Moses says, okay, but I can't talk. Not very good. God says, trust me. Come and call my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, I'm not very good at talking. Send someone else. And God's patient with him. But at a point, it actually says, God expressed anger towards Moses, He is slow to anger, but if he needs, the spirit of love will express itself as anger. Jesus enters the temple, and this was a people who who called called themselves by his name. This was a people who had the promises of God. They had the scriptures, and they should have known better, but in spite of this, they had grown tolerant of their sin through the vaccine of empty religion. I just want... I just want us to hear that really clearly. They had grown tolerant of their sin through the vaccine of empty religion. A people who justified that they were right with God, all the while growing accepting and passionate for the things that he detested. Uh, if our takeaway from, from this this moment tonight is a license for us to be angry. I just want to say we've missed the point. <laughs> okay, that's not the takeaway from tonight. As we read this story of Jesus, uh, the takeaway is not that we've now got a license to be angry because Jesus got angry. In, if anything, in fact, uh, this picture of Jesus makes me uh, mourn the fact that I think the anger that has usually arisen in my heart has generally be, been ungodlike rather than godlike anger. It's been condemning anger, unforgiving anger that's without love towards another person and, and about myself. And if anything, this vision of Jesus, I pray, helps us to see um, that, that this too is something that he wants to root out of us a wrong type of anger. But let, let me ask us this evening, uh, what would it have looked like for these people to have repented? We hear that at least one group, the chief priests and the scribes, they didn't repent. So Jesus was angry and they, they didn't move. They doubled down on their rebellion and they begin to, to unh- uh, unhatch plans to actually put Jesus to death. They have, been, they have so identified their personhood with their sinful ways that as Jesus comes and calls them out of their sin, they think that he's against them. This is a really important point. I just want you to hear this tonight. Some people, maybe you're thinking, I am my sin. You are not your sin, you are not. You are a beautiful person created good by God. Sin is unnatural to you, it is not natural. Don't believe that lie that you are, you are your sin. And, and the chief priests and the scribes in this moment, they, they did not, they cannot see it fit to come out of the ways that they were in and, and, and be who they were always created to be, sons and daughters of the living God. At least one group didn't repent, but what might it have looked like for a group to repent in this moment? What would it have looked like for Jesus to come into the temple and to express his spirit of love in anger? What would it have looked like for people to submit to that? to humble themselves before Jesus and his authority, to let his anger accomplish its purpose in their lives. What would that have looked like? Well, I think, maybe, I'm hypothesizing, but I think it might have looked something like leaving the money on the ground. Maybe it was their money that was on the table as Jesus flipped it up and it scatters everywhere for them to repent and submit to that, maybe it could have looked like leaving that money on the floor and, and walking walking out and saying, I'm gonna humble myself before this man. Or maybe it's picking that money up and, and giving it to those who, who, is, who are in need, the oppressed of that time. I think repentance could have looked like those who had been busy buying and selling merchandise in the temple and Jesus is trying to stop them, to thwart them. It could have looked like them saying, okay, I'm I'm not gonna do that anymore. Rather than than buying and selling in the temple, I'm I'm gonna go and sit at Jesus' feet and and listen to this man teach. It said Jesus was teaching them my house. Shall we call the house of prayer? I do know it wouldn't have been this. Repentance wouldn't have been this. For them to repent wouldn't have meant that they wouldn't have meant for them to just go and make another sacrifice in the temple and then keep doing what they were doing. That's not what repentance would have looked like. That's not what humility and submission to Jesus' authority and his anger in that moment would have looked like. That's not what it would have looked like to have received the love of God in that moment. Uh, The scriptures say that our bodies too are temples of the living God. Jesus, in fact, was uh, demonstrating here that this temple, I, uh, I am, in fact, the temple of the living God and I want to pour my spirit out into your temples as well, your bodies. And the temple was destroyed another 80 years' time. It finished up. Jesus' prophetic declaration in that moment that it was corrupt uh, came to pass. It was destroyed by the Romans. But our bodies, too, are temples of God. And, and this is what James says. These are passages I felt uh, just for us to finish with tonight. James says this, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. And I feel like that is, is, uh, is, God's word to us tonight. Just to wherever we are, just to submit ourselves to God. See, I think the tendency right now in our lives or that I see in my life anyways, we hear about the anger of God and and we sort of hear about it and so we we kind of try and say, oh, well, I can sort of see it coming and so I'll I'll grab, you know, because we, we think, well, this is a bad thing. If he's angry, you know, he's against me. So I gotta get away from him. And so we pick up our, you know, imagine we were buying and selling merchandise in the temple, we pick it up and then we sort of say, oh, like Jesus is coming and then we flee from the temple with our merchandise but, but our heart hasn't changed. The invitation tonight is not to flee from an, from an evil God, it's to come to a loving God. It's to run towards Him, It's to submit ourselves to Him and to allow whatever that looks like, let that play out. If you start heading towards Him and He puts His finger on something in your life, then, then you, you, you deal with it then. Then you have an opportunity, just as these people had an opportunity, to say, am I going to believe and trust in Jesus? Or am I going to go my own way? but please my prayer for tonight really my heart in this in this message tonight was for us to get a good vision of a good God for us to get a vision of a God who is love and and the society and Satan and world will tell you he's angry he's out to get you just just sort of do what you can uh, And patch it over again, you know, like do the empty religion again and and patch it over and just almost keep yourself at a distance. He's a good God. He's a good God. This is why Jesus came, to show us that we can trust Him. That is my heart in this message tonight. Please let us run towards Him, not away from Him. Let us run towards Him, not away from Him. Whatever that looks like for you, He might be calling you something. Maybe there's something that He's been calling you to put right in your life for a while now. And tonight, He's, he's really saying again, hey, come on. And maybe, maybe there is a sense of, of, of a sense of His anger coming with that. Humble, may we humble ourselves. Come on, He's a loving God. Let's get off our page and submit ourselves to Him. He's got good things for us. He wants to bring us out into the wide open spaces of the liberty of the sons and daughters of the living God made like Him. Partakers of the divine nature living as God is eternal life this is what he wants for us so let's pray now and, and uh, let's seek to encounter Jesus as we as we move towards him God this this is uh, incredible news this is not you know, maybe the world hears this and they're projecting the, the anger that they see in the world onto Jesus. They're saying, oh, look, we're writing this guy off. No way. You are the most loving God ever. As loving as any person is here in this room tonight, you're, you're infinitely more. You're a good God. You're not a tyrant. You're not an exacting God. And, and to tell the, the truth is, Lord, if we have a, an, an image of you, a vision of you, where you're a tyrant and you're exacting and you're demanding our sin, we, we will stay in our sin. We have to see the fullness of your majesty, your glory, your greatness, your goodness. So much so that we run to you, not away from you. That we trust you. It's your generosity that claims our obedience here tonight, Heavenly Father. And I believe that and I just pray for people right now here in this moment, Lord, and and maybe you're putting your finger on things in our lives. Praise God. You will not, you will not let us go to destruction. You came to seek and to save us from our sin. This is your mercy, your kindness towards us, God. And so I just pray that tonight, Lord, we, we take off any, any picture of you, that you're a, you know, a mean and an angry God that, that's not for us. No way, you are for us, Lord. And may that picture, may, may the lie of the enemy be destroyed tonight by the, the glory of the truth, I pray. May the light shine in the darkness that Jesus is good, that he can be trusted here tonight, that anything he's calling us to, that it's a good thing. It's not for our harm, it's for our good. And so any areas of of our lives that you're calling us out of or any areas that you're calling us into, Lord, may we trust you, have faith, believe that you are good. Why don't you just, uh, just spend a moment sitting before God, and allowing him, wanting to encounter him. Just just declare that tonight. God, we want to encounter you, Christ, the risen one. We want to know you. We want to have you walk into our temples tonight. Identify any offensive way in us, Lord, so that you will lead us in the way everlasting. God, be exalted, be exalted, I pray, in our lives. May your name be renowned and made famous in our city as we, your people, uh, humble ourselves before you, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Are we gonna stand and sing a last song that talks about the goodness of God. I pray that we sing that with faith tonight. Uh, But let's continue to respond tonight. Tomorrow, this week, listen to God, encounter Jesus and uh, let Him move us into all that He has for us. Let's stand together.
1: Good girl. Of the curtain.
2: something to you that I just underlined today. I'm not sure where you're at uh, tonight, but I just sense it's an opportunity for you maybe to surrender and uh, surrender your heart, surrender your life to Him. And maybe there's been aspects in your heart and your life you thought... I don't know if I can live up to the standard and you've maybe kept a distance from Him. I just sense as well that maybe you kind of grew up in church or you grew up in faith and you understand and know deep within your heart, deep within your heart that this is actually true, but you've, you've neglected it or pushed it aside. And, and maybe tonight it's just an opportunity for you to say actually, God, I need you in my heart. And I need you in my life. I just underline this today and it just may be for you, maybe watching online, maybe here. In Psalm 80, it says this: Then we will not turn away from you. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. It goes on to say, Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that that we may be saved. That we may be saved. Father God, uh, there may just be one here, maybe several that they just know deep within their heart, maybe they pushed it aside, maybe they've just jumped online and haven't been to a service or even considered faith for many, many years. But in this moment, they just sense, I need God in my life. If that's you tonight, just wanna give you an opportunity just to pray, just to pray a simple prayer to say, God, I need You really. Maybe just pray this prayer in your heart and in your head. Dear God, forgive me. Forgive me for pushing You away. Forgive me for suppressing the truth I knew deep within my heart. I need You. I need You. You're not angry or upset. You love me. It's the very reason You've been calling me back, because You love me. And God, I surrender to You tonight. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Father, thank You for those, maybe they responded here tonight. But God, we do thank You that You are a loving God. You want our lives, You want our hearts. And so great God, the least we can do is give You our hearts and give You our lives for all that You've done for us, Father. We honour You tonight. We love You, Father God. And we just thank You for the good news in Christ. So Father, thank You. Continue to lead us and guide us this very week, we pray. In Jesus' mighty and precious Name, Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, it's been so good to have you uh, here tonight. Great to have you online as well. But if you've got any questions or if you want prayer, we'd love to pray for you as well. Uh, But God bless you. May God use you. Whatever you do this week, may He use you powerfully as you listen and obey Him. Uh, But have an awesome week. Oh, and feel free to hang around afterwards as well. We'd love to catch up with you. King of Wings, there's a food van. Grab some wings and catch up out in our courtyard too. But God bless you so much. We'll see you soon.